Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Yes, it is. Back and better than ever. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. And I bring in my uncle Seth, Seth Greenberg, no relation, on the Goodyear hotline. I do so with a quick story. Hembo was a trivia question on the table for us here. And I will tell you that when I was a little kid, my parents were crazy fans of the New York Knicks. And my mother absolutely loved Bill Bradley. If you are familiar with Seinfeld, when George's mother would always say, why can't you be more like Lloyd Braun? That was basically (laughs) Bill Bradley and me. My mother wanted me to be Bill Bradley. And so when Hembo asked this question. Which player owns the scoring record for a single NCAA tournament? I was positive, Seth Greenberg, that the answer was Bill Bradley. But it turns out. That while he held that record, he no longer does. So I got it wrong. I don't know what the answer is. Do you want to take a shot at it? If it's not Bill Bradley in a single game. No, single tournament. The whole tournament. A single I'm tournament. Gonna go with, I'm going to go with Bill Walton. Bill Walton is incorrect. They played fewer games when Bill Walton played. Okay. The correct answer is Glenn ah. Rice from Michigan in uh, 1989. Ooh. Too hard, Uncle Seth? They, 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 no, that's a fair hey, question. I, I'm no Dan Graziano. <laughs> oh, that's head. a low blow. <laughs> Seth Greenberg. That's a low blow. Seth is with us here. We'll talk about the tournament here, getting your brackets ready here. And he's brought to you by Wendy's, proud sponsor of the 2021 John R. Wooden Men's and Women's Player of the Year. All right, let, let's start with the, the prohibitive favorite. So Gonzaga goes in unbeaten, and they go in like this team <laughs> – that everyone is saying is so good and can't be beat. And historically, that team tends to get beaten most of the time. They usually don't win it. And Gonzaga has gone in with people telling me how good they were before and not won it. So, Seth, why is this team, for folks getting set to fill out their bracket, why is this year different for Gonzaga? Well, they're different because they're probably the most efficient offensive team in recent basketball history. And what makes them efficient? Well, first of all, they get 51 points a game in, tra- uh, in the paint. That's ridiculous. That's an obscene number. Number two, they get a shot up every 14 seconds because they float from their offense all right, right into their transition and right into their offense. And finally, and this is a Hemble. I'm not taking credit for this, but Hemble gave this, gave this to me this morning. All right? they, their effective field goal percentage is 60 one percent. I'm going to put that in perspective. All right, Steph Curry's career effective field goal percentage is 58 percent. So as a team, not an individual, as a team, their effective field goal percentage is 61 percent. That is obscene. Now, part of it is they play ahead of the defense. They shoot a lot of layups. They're not a post-up team per se, but they've got floor gamers and shot makers and playmakers all over the floor whether it's Suggs, whether it's Kispert, whether it's Timmy, all those guys can make plays. And I didn't even mention Joel Yayi, who has the only triple-double in the history, in the history of Gonzaga basketball. They're a unique and talented offensive team. So they go in as a prohibitive favorite. So Hembo is making the point to me, if you want to win your pool, if you want to win some money, if you want to be involved in all that stuff, you don't pick them because everyone is going to pick them, and then it's going to come down to a, a bunch of little here and theres. So if, if g- g- help people out here, Seth. If not Gonzaga, then who? Give me the two or three other teams that might not be as obvious that you could see winning six games over the next few weeks. Well, even go. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to be healthy enough to get to that point. But like, even with inside their brackets, so agree. What do you have to do to beat Gonzaga? That's kind of what you're asking. Like, what do you have to do to beat Gonzaga? You got to own the tempo of the game. 
you got to have good shot selection so they don't get out in transition because a bad shot's a fast break. All right, you can't turn it over because again, turnovers are touchdowns with them because they flow into their offense. You got to have someone who can guard Kisper because he as, as, at the four spot the dude just tortures you, and then you got to have someone who maybe can get Timmy in foul trouble. So even in their bracket, if they're healthy, this sounds crazy. Virginia could give them a problem. They could give them a problem because they can give them a problem because they can own the tempo of the game. All right, the game's going to be at a snail's pace. They have a good matchup with Kispert. They don't turn it over. They don't give up your second shots. But then let's go bracket by bracket. In the East, Texas could beat them. Why Texas? Well, you know what? Ty Jones at the four is a great matchup for Kispert, defending him with his length, defending his ability to contest shots. Uh, they have veteran guards. Uh, Jericho Sims is a terrific, not a good, a terrific defender, whether it's in ball screens, off the ball, rim protection. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of that when you play against Gonzaga. So, I, you know, Texas in that bracket is an interesting bracket, as is Florida State, another team that can switch all that perimeter action, keep you in front. Now, those teams worry me a little bit because they turn it over. Then we go to Baylor. We go to Baylor because Baylor is the best guards in college basketball. Baylor's guards are good enough to get underneath Suggs. Baylor's guards can take over games. And it's not just Jared Butler. It's not just Davion Mitchell. They bring dudes off the bench like Matt Meyer that can light you up for 20. They bring dudes off the bench like Adam Flagler that can light you up for 20. And then Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. I'm not saying his name because I can. <laughs> I'm saying his name because he's a big that can guard out on the floor. He is an issue because he has the ability to move their feet. Same thing in the South bracket. Look at Ohio State. Kind of positionless, can attack different matchups. E.J. Liddell's a great matchup for Timmy. Physical guard. And they can make Gonzaga defend at multiple positions. They got tough matchups. Dwayne Washington is a shot maker. And then finally, Illinois. I mean, Illinois, uh, they've got Batman and Robin. Now, I don't want to see Kofi Coburn in tights. I don't think that would be a good look. But Io DeSumo rocks the mask as good as any player in America. I mean, the dude is ridiculous. I mean, you talk about a 6'4 guard. He, on, on his own ball, scores seven points a game in transition. They are a physical team. They can get Timmy in foul trouble with Coburn. Uh, they have toughness. They got depth. They developed with Andre Corbello, who's kind of given them good minutes. There are teams that can beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga's big thing is they've only been pushed twice, really, this season. They were pushed by BYU. All right, in the second half, they responded. They were pushed by West Virginia, and in the second half, they responded. The question is, how will they handle the game pressure in the tournament? Seth Greenberg is with us here, presented by Progressive Insurance. You can save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. I'm out of time. Uncle Seth, thank you, my friend. I will see you soon. Enjoy the dance if I don't talk to you in the next day or two. You got it. I just went all Stephen A. That was a full segment. <laughs> <laughs> but you gave us everything we needed. Thank you very much. That's Seth Greenberg again. I call him Uncle Seth, and we are uh, no relation. Um, he actually told me on TV today he has Illinois beating Gonzaga in the championship game. Now, I picked Gonzaga because everyone keeps telling me they can't lose. But you've now convinced me that I have no way of winning a bracket if I pick Gonzaga, so I'm kind of thinking of going the other way. They're the, they're the team likeliest to win it, but what, what chance do you really give Correct. Now you're, now you're in it 20%? with everybody else. Right, exactly. So I think I'm going to go. So I, I love the Big Ten. I went to school in the Big Ten. I always root for the Big Ten. I have two Big Ten teams in the Final Four. I have Ohio State and Illinois, who just met in an overtime classic mm-hmm. in the Big Ten championship game. I want to take one of them now. I have Illinois. No, I have Ohio State beating 
Illinois in the semis, and mm-hmm. then losing to Gonzaga, I'm going to flip it. Okay. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to flip it to Ohio State. I'm going to take Ohio State, I think, to win the whole thing. I got a few <laughs> days to make up my mind. Coming up next, I will tell you one huge award that just does not mean what it should. That and Kurt Warner coming up live as we continue. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you. And in celebration of Women's History Month, pay tribute to black queens on the undefeated on ESPN+. Plus. Explore the athletes and coaches who have defied expectations and inspired others. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Getting back to my thought on this one award in a moment, we will get into all the football with Kurt Warner in 15 minutes. There have been some huge moves, including another big one today. But right now, I enjoy the trivia. I like trivia. And Hembo put together a bunch of NCAA tournament trivia questions for me. Let's play along together. Go ahead, Hembo. What do you got? Greeny, two players have made a buzzer beater to win the national championship game. I need you to name both of those players. Have made a buzzer beater. So it was Villanova did it just a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. against North Carolina. Who made that shot? It was Archie Diacono, however you say his name, was the one who passed it backwards. Jenkins, I think, was his last name. Yes, that's correct. Chris Jenkins is correct. Chris Jenkins. The kid from Butler missed a shot at the end. Gordon Hayward, that was in and out, that would have won it. Give me an era. 80s. Then I'll remember it. You're not. Is, does that? Inc- it's not Michael Jordan, right? No. Yeah, because that 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 wasn't the end of the game. You're talking about a buzzer beater, like yes. literally the last shot. Of, oh, Keith Smart. Keith Smart, Indiana. What do you mean? No. No. The national championship game, 1983. The national championship. Oh my God! Yes, Come Lorenzo on. Charles. That's yes, right. of course, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long way. They won it on the dunk, and Jimmy V running around looking for someone to hug. Yes, that that game. I'll tell you, I, I, I love telling this story. Anytime I'm ever at a V Foundation event, I love to tell this story. Um, 1983, that, that championship game, my family had just gotten our first VCR. Mm. Now, for those of you under the age of 50, a VCR is something that we had before DVR. If you're under 40, DVR was something we had before <laughs> we, had, we had TiVo. And before that, we had DVDs. And if you're under 20, this was before everything was available on an app. So you would watch the game, and we taped it. And that was the first thing I ever taped was that game, that championship game. And just because it was the championship game, and I was a kid who loved sports, so I probably watched that 600 times. So that's why I still remember the call. Wittenberg, it's a long way. Oh, they won it on the Donkett. Okay, so it's it's, it's Low Charles and Chris Jenkins. Jenkins. How much time was left when Keith Smart hit the shot for Indiana? Look that up, 86. Will do. 
or 87. What year was 87 is Indiana over Syracuse? And Keith Smart hits a shot right near the end. I'll let you get me that, and then I'll get you back to my other <laughs> point I want to make here on MVP. Just look that up. 87 championship game. Keith Smart. You have to give me a second. Okay. You see, you're usually very quick with that stuff. Here. I, mean, I, I have a database, but I still have to filter a few things. Okay, so filter a, a few things. Mm. Keith Smart hits game-winning shot against Syracuse in 87. Oh, you're just looking for the year? Or you're How much time? No, that shot. How much time was left in that shot? It, it went through with four seconds left. I'm being told it was four seconds. Nuno says there were four seconds left on the clock when he makes that shot. So that doesn't count as a buzzer beater. Okay, I stand, I stand incorrect. Anyway, I like all the trivia stuff here. Kurt Warner coming up on the football. I want to finish my thought earlier on MVP in the NBA being a disappointing award. It's not the award it should be. And here's why. When we start counting up how great a player was, when you start, when you start comparing players, let's use Michael Jordan and LeBron James. They're, they're the most oft-compared players. And the number that everyone always brings up, of course, is rings. Jordan has six and LeBron has four. You can bring up finals MVPs, and those matter. You get your team to the championship, you win the title, and you were the best player in the finals. That matters a lot. What shouldn't matter is regular season MVPs, and that disappoints me because that should be an important award. It should be an incredibly important award. But Michael Jordan won five regular season MVP awards. Michael Jordan was the best player in the NBA for 15 years. He was only given that award five times. It is not an accurate reflection or representation of how good he was. And Hembo gave me some numbers to back that up. There's a statistic called win shares that basically gives out credit for team success to individuals. What was your win share? Michael Jordan led the NBA in win shares every full season he played from 1987 through 1997. He led the league in scoring in every one of those seasons, too. In 87, he was the best player in the NBA. He averaged 37 points a game, and he finished second behind Magic Johnson in the MVP. In 89, he was the best player in the NBA. He finished second behind Magic Johnson in the MVP. 1990, he was the best player in the NBA. Finished third behind Magic Johnson and Charles Barkley. 93, he was the best player in the NBA. Finished third behind Charles Barkley and Hakeem Olajuwon. 97, he was the best player. Finished second behind Karl Malone. Let me say this again. He led the NBA every full season he played from 87 through 97 in win share and led the league in scoring in every one of those seasons and was only named the MVP five times. So what does that award mean? We're just giving it out. It's just a narrative. He didn't win one. Give him one. He didn't win. What's the the old Oprah thing? You get an MVP. You get an MVP. (laughs) You get a triple double. You get an MVP. What the hell does it mean? The last time LeBron James won the MVP was 2013. That's a different lifetime ago. The whole four seasons he was in Cleveland, he never once won the MVP. You're telling me he wasn't the best player in the league? He was the best player in the league all four of those seasons. There have been five players who've won the award since last LeBron did. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry twice, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Giannis twice. No disrespect to any of them. I'm glad they're all MVPs. They're all great players. But you made an interesting analogy. Hambo to me, which is in boxing, there's the concept of the lineal mm, champion. Right. And, 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 well, I'll make it for you here because I don't have a lot of time. So I'll just basically paraphrase what I think you were telling me was that if someone is the champion for 10 consecutive years, they remain the champion. Even if someone else wins four fights and they only won two, they weren't necessarily the best pl- fighter that year, but they don't lose the championship belt. 
LeBron James is the lineal champion. He's the best player in the sport. It's not debatable. He has been for some period of time. The last time there could be any reasonable argument, I think, would be when Kobe finished winning his title. So what was the last Kobe title? 09, 2010, whatever year he won the last one with Pau Gasol. 2010. 2010. So for the last 11 years, there's been no debate that LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. So starting in 11, how many MVPs has he won? Uh, just two. Two. 12 and 13. So so in, in an 11-year period, it's actually 12 se- – well, this one hasn't happened yet. Mm. In an 11-season period, he's been named the MVP twice, and he's been the best player in the league the entire time. So it just doesn't make sense to me. So, look, I appreciate the award. I'm not saying we should stop giving it. And I'm not even saying they should change the way they go about it. But what I am saying is the next time we start comparing a player's all-time greatness – just ignore how many regular season MVPs they won, which we would never do in any other sport. We would never do that in baseball, right? Never. Never. And we would never do it in football. So it kind of bothers me that we have to do it in basketball. It doesn't sit well. Kurt Warner live next on all the huge free agent moves, including another very big one today. Don't miss it. Greeny on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. I am Greeny, and I'm coming to you live from above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17 in the midst of an incredibly impactful couple of days in the National Football League with the free agent signings coming fast and furious. And, Hembo, you have this stat for me that should, I think, open up a lot of people's eyes about the importance of what has already happened. So I have in front of me, Greeny, a list of each, the, the number one uh, spending team in free agency in each of the last five off-seasons. Right. So those teams were the 2020 Dolphins, the 2019 Jets, the 2018 Bears, the 2017 Jags, and the 2016 Giants. Those five teams improved year over year by an average of five and a half wins. Five and a half wins. If that holds, then you can count the New England Patriots down to win 12 and a half games <laughs> this coming year because they've been ridiculously active. Let's talk it all over with the former NFL MVP and the Hall of Famer now at NFL Network. Our friend Kurt Warner is back with us on the Goodyear Hotline. Good morning, Kurt Warner. Good morning, Greeny. How are you? I'm great. It's been too long. I'm a, it's a pleasure to see you. And let's start with what they're doing. I mean, you obviously legendarily went up against Belichick, and, and you know all about it. And you saw what happened last year, and he just has decided to go out. And I'm not sure you've seen it this morning, but they signed Hunter Henry as well. They added him, so they got the two good tight ends, Hunter Henry along with John U. Smith, Matthew Judon leading the, the names on the defense, completely remaking that team. What do you think? Yeah, I love the moves. And, you know, as you guys talking about, you know, does this translate to wins? But the bottom line is Bill Belichick wants to be in the playoffs and not being in the playoffs last year. And I know 
a lot of things happen, a lot of opt-outs and all of those things. But uh, bottom line is, is they expect to win in New England, and they didn't believe they had the roster to do that. Uh, and so they have been very active, you know, starting, I think, with Cam Newton. I think that surprised a lot of us that they went out and signed Cam Newton back with some of the struggles last year. But I feel like the Patriots are saying, okay, if we're going to bring Cam Newton back, which we want to bring him back because there's some good things there that lend itself to how we want to play, now we've got to surround him with talent and guys that can help him play his best football. I thought last year they tried to be too much Tom Brady in the Tom in the passing game, meaning you know all of this short stuff, expecting Cam Newton to try to decipher defenses and pick teams apart. That's not Cam Newton. You run the football, you play action. I love the idea of bringing in two quality tight ends uh, to be able to attack between the hashes off of play action. And we can just look back to Carolina when Cam was at his best. It was with Greg Olson, and they could isolate him, and they could do some one-on-one stuff with him. Now they've got two tight ends there, um, you know, which they hadn't had much production at the tight end spot since Gronk, and that was really how they've always been built. So I love the moves that they're making, you know, a tackle, a pass rusher, the two tight ends. I think they're doing some great things in New England. And two wide receivers. They signed Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne as well. But let, let's focus on Cam because a lot of the questions I had on the TV show this morning were about – if, if everything else is as it is, can they play winning football with Cam? So, so, so teach us a little something. I, I like the, the direction you were going. If, if you're designing that offense with Cam Newton at the quarterback and, and all the, the players we just described, what's it going to look like? What is that offense going to be to maximize your chance of winning? I believe Green, it starts with what they did last year when they were able to establish the run and, you know, you know, they're going to play good defense. You know, they're not going to give up a lot of points. That's a successful formula. But in this day and age, you have to be able to throw the football. You have to have some consistency throwing the football. And where Cam, to me, has always struggled has been outside the numbers when you're trying to stretch it and attack outside the numbers, or you're asking him to make 35 or 40 throws as opposed to 25 or 30, where he's pushing the ball down the field with his bigger arm. And so off of that play action in the run game, where the Patriots have always been great, even with Tom Brady, was attacking between the hashes, using their tight ends, using Julian Edelman between the hashes. Now we've got a number of guys that we feel confident that can get down the field and make big plays for us on the inside portion of the field to complement our run game. That, to me, is how New England has been built. That is what Cam Newton does well. That's how they want to play. Now they've added a couple pieces that will allow them to play that way. And you mentioned it, a couple you know, speedier guys on the outside, which is something they didn't have last year. Another strength of Cam Newton's. Once again, it's about pushing the ball down the field and and giving me a couple of those big-time throws and big-time plays a game. They didn't have those last year. So it was, we've got to work the ball down methodically, 10, 12 play drives. That is hard for any team, and it's really hard when your quarterback isn't tremendously efficient, which is not who Cam Newton's been throughout his career. Gooney and Kurt Warner with me here on ESPN Radio, uh, presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, next uh, quarterback situation I'm interested in is Ryan Fitzpatrick signing in Washington. I, I have been beating the drum on this thing for the last couple of weeks, that Fitzpatrick's numbers the last few years – are just better than most people realize. He's just played well. People have this image of him as the guy who throws all these interceptions, and certainly well-deserved. He has been that guy. But the last few years, he really hasn't. He's been excellent. He comes to a team where they just need average quarterback play, and they should be really good with that defense. 
What do you think? With, with Fitzpatrick added in Washington, how do you like that team going in? Green, I like the playmaking ability of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that, to me, gives them a huge upgrade at the quarterback position. But if you go back and look at last year, the real difference for that team is is they won when they didn't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. When they turned the ball over, they lost. And, and now it was kind of Alex Smith against the other quarterbacks because Alex protected the football. And that's going to be the real balancing act here with Fitzpatrick is that he's a guy that believes he can make every throw. He wants to go out and make every throw. But you've got a quality defense. Can you balance out making more plays than the quarterback position made for them last year, but not making those big mistakes that puts them uh, you know, behind the eight ball or puts them in tough spots because their defense is so good. So uh, I'm just interested to see how it plays out and, and how they want Ryan Fitzpatrick to play because you know it, Greeny, uh, from his time with the Jets. He plays one way, and that one way is every play, he's going to try to make the play if – he thinks he can, you know, he can fit a ball in a window or he thinks it can make a difference. And sometimes that goes against you. And so it's going to be about consistency. It's going to be about how they ask him to play. But I definitely believe from a playmaking standpoint that they've upgraded at the quarterback spot. Now he's just got to protect the football. I like them in the NFC East. Greeny and Kurt Warner. Let's talk about another guy who turns the ball over too much. And that's Jameis Winston. And and if he were to call you, you're a Hall of Fame quarterback. If he were to call you and say, where should my head be? He's got the chance of a lifetime here. He, he gets the chance to take the baton from Drew Brees. He got a year to study and learn from him how Brees went about doing his thing. He's got this great offensive coach in Sean Payton. They've got a really good football team. He's got an unbelievable opportunity to fulfill all of the promise he clearly had. If he called you and said, where should my head be? What should I be thinking about? What should I be doing? What would you tell him? Greeny, this is such a hard one because, you know, I know Jameis and I've actually worked with Jameis. We have a great relationship and I love the fact that he wants to be great. If you watch him play in Tampa, I believe he understands passing concepts. He sees the field and he makes more good decisions than most guys in the National Football League. The problem is being able to decipher what is always a good throw to make and what isn't because he does make so many plays and that's really been the issue. And we just talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I believe it's been the same thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick throughout his career is that, uh, you know, believing you can make every throw is one thing. Understanding judicially how to protect the football and which chances to take is something completely different. And that's the question with Jameis Winston. And so you can say, Hey, You sat behind Drew Brees and you watched Drew Brees do it because nobody's better at processing information and getting it to the right guy than Drew Brees. The problem is, is when you get out there, can you do that in your head? You've played the game one way for so long that I don't want you to be conservative because that doesn't give us the best chance to win. That's not what wins championships, but it's being able to be judicial with the football. And what, what we always say is, can someone learn that? Can they start to understand, okay, this is a play I can push the ball down the field and attack, and this is a play where I have to pull back and hit my check down. And that's becoming, you know, that's the challenge for for Sean Payton. That's the challenge for Jameis Winston is can you do all of those good things you do, but can you eliminate those plays that just, you know, for whatever reason in your head say, okay, I can't make that play. And, you know, I remember Baker Mayfield talking last year and, and he, you know, somebody asked him, you know, why he's playing so differently. And he said, well, I look at plays now and I say, 
if an idiot would make that throw, <laughs> I don't do it. And so it sounds easy and, and it's a funny statement, but that's really what it comes down to is that, is there a play where you go, yeah, I can probably make that throw, but that's a dumb throw to make, check it down. And then another throw that maybe just is a little bit different. And you say, well, I've got to rip that one. And being able to play that way aggressively um, is to me the key for Jameis Winston because he does so many good things and there's so many great things to build on, but that's always going to be the difference maker. And as you said, why Ryan Fitzpatrick probably never got that big contract to, to be a franchise quarterback because he's had trouble delineating between those two things as well. Um, and so I'm excited for Jameis because I think it's a great opportunity and a system that will fit him well. But we all know he's going to have to eliminate those bad plays at critical moments uh, if he's going to hold on to that job. Greeny and Kurt Warner, the Hall of Famer now, a terrific analyst at NFL Network. Two more for you quickly. Um, what do you think is going to happen with Russell Wilson? I, I can tell you that all of my Chicago friends are already ordering jerseys. They're convinced that, they're, that the Bears are getting him. Um, I'm not as convinced, but w- what do I know? What do you think? W- w- what is your sense of what's going on with Russell? My sense is that he stays in Seattle. There's too much good stuff that's going on there. I mean, last year we can you know talk about what Russell said and want to be protected and, and want to have a little more say in what they're doing. This team won the division last year. I mean, this team won 12 games last year. This team always finds a way to be in the mix. And I just believe Russell is going to find a – they're going to find a way together to work this out. Um, and, and he's going to stay there. First of all, it's going to take a lot to get him. I'm not sure how many teams can do that uh, and still be competitive. But more importantly, I, I think Russell wants to be in Seattle. He just wants to get it done the right way so they can compete for championships again. And then the final one uh, would be about the Jets, uh, who have the second pick in the draft, and that's really where all the action will begin. We all basically know what's going to happen at number one with Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville. And the Jets have an interesting decision to make based on a new coaching staff and a new chance for, for a guy in Sam Darnold that you've seen to maybe show you what he can do, or do they start over again with that second pick? What is your sense of what, what you think they should do if you were advising them? Well, Greeny, for me, it's about how quickly you believe you can be competitive. And so I think logic says, well, says stay with Sam Darnold. We haven't got to really see the best of him. You drafted him high. Uh, Let's see him in a new system and see what he can be. The problem is in a year from now, you're going to have to sign him to a long-term deal if you keep him. So are you going to give him the pieces this year to be successful and for you to truly see what he's going to be. So if you feel you can do that with all your collateral, then I think you keep Sam Darnold. But I I think the more likely scenario is you draft the quarterback number two, you reset the quarterback clock, you say to yourself, we're going to build a team that's about three years away, and three years from now, this rookie quarterback and the team can both be hitting in, in the spot that we want to be hitting at where we can truly compete at that point and we don't have to overpay a quarterback early on without having a team around him to be able to be successful so my gut tells me they will probably go quarterback at number two uh build a team trade sam darnell maybe get something for him and try to figure this thing out maybe year three or year four where both of those things the team and the quarterback are equally meshed and ready to make a run. Makes sense. Kurt, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you so much for all this time. It's great to see you. Best wishes to everybody. I'll see you soon. 
Sounds good, Greeny. Same to you. Take care. That's Kurt Warner. Just terrific. As good a guy as you'll ever come across. An excellent analyst uh, now at NFL Network and, of course, a Hall of Famer. And, and that is my expectation. And, you know, as I bring Hembo and Nuno and Bubba and Devin into the conversation, it is an interesting byproduct. Like, there are, there are unintended consequences of every decision that gets made in, in anything, I guess, in life. And, and let's just sort of sit back and analyze this one. There was a problem in the NFL. And that was that when you were drafted high, when you, the first round picks, when there was no limitation how much they could get paid, it just kept going up and up and up and up and up. And the most famous one of them all is Sam Bradford, it, it maybe because he was the last one. But what did he get paid? What was his, Hembo looked at it, what was his rookie contract? It was massive. I think it was like, I'll look it up for, for you exactly, but it was something like $50 million guaranteed. It was, he immediately became one of the 15 or 20 highest paid players in the sport. Right. And so that wasn't good. We recognize the league, to their credit, recognize that's a problem. And the, the byproduct of it was that if you drafted a quarterback high, you would, you would set yourself back five years trying to justify it because you were on the hook for all of this money. You couldn't get out of it. You needed to keep trying. So you would just keep spinning your wheels trying to make that pick work. So they, they addressed the rookie salary cap, or they addressed that problem with the rookie salary cap, which I think by and large has been a very good thing. Now the rookies, there's a camp on how much they make. You don't need me to tell you how it works. But I think that the unintended consequence of that is that I think we may give up on guys too quickly now. Mm. Like, I think that the, I'm old enough to remember a time when a quarterback would get drafted, you wouldn't start no matter who he was. First pick in the draft wouldn't start as a rookie. In the 70s, never. They would sit. They would serve the equivalent of an apprenticeship, learning, because that's a position you have to learn. It takes time to figure out how to do it. And all that changed, and I get it, and it changes. And I don't, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't play quarterbacks as rookies. But I am suggesting that if you're going to basically say the book has been written on a player after three years, particularly at that position, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And a lot of guys' careers are never going to happen. Like, I'm just trying to think. Like, if Baker Mayfield, whoever it is that they hired to be the coach this past year, they got this guy Stefanski at work, they put good people around him. Look, Mayfield, they resurrected his career. Good for him. He's going to have a long NFL career now. One more year to go in the way they were, if everything, you know, if they had hired, what was the guy's name who was their coach last year for just the one season? Freddie. Uh, Freddie, Freddie Kitchens. Kitchens. If they had hired him this past season, they'd be cutting Baker Mayfield now. They absolutely wouldn't even consider signing him. And who knows? Mayfield might have wound up a backup somewhere. He might never have had a career. So these things are all interdependent. Football is more those players, those, that, that, that sport is more independent on, any, on everything else than any other sport, maybe all the other sports combined. Now think about all the other sports. If you can play basketball, you're going to be able to show it. If you can play baseball, you're going to be able to show it. Hockey, you can show it. Certainly the individual sports, it goes without saying, boxing, golf, tennis, etc. If you're a football player and you wind up in the wrong situation, you could have no career. You could have been absolutely good enough, too. So that's the part of this that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, I'm rooting for Sam Darnold. I don't know him well. I've met him a time or two. But he's a nice kid, and I'm rooting for him. And whatever happens to him, I hope that the total dysfunction of this franchise that I follow closely and the abject incompetence of the coach that he had, not, that's not the only problem they had, but I think in the big picture that was his biggest, 
I hope that didn't just ruin his career. Now, here's a kid who, like, a young man dreamt his life playing football. His whole family is like, I think he has, like, in his family, I forget, he has cousins who are Olympians and volleyball players. And, like, they're a ridiculously athletic family. Here he comes. He's the third pick in the draft. They trade up to get him, and then they immediately surround him with the worst team you've ever seen. They hire the worst coach ever. They fire the general manager, so they bring in a new guy who wants to tank. So they get rid of every other guy who can play. So he's never had any chance. None. And so the question is, I don't want to say is it fair, because life isn't fair. No one should get the impression that fairness is always a prerequisite for anything. But, like, he could have his career ruined. His career might be ruined. He might never really get a chance again, and I just hope he does. So I'm encouraged to read that there are teams out there that seem to be interested in trading the Jets something of value to get him. Not only because that's obviously good for the Jets, but also because it, it suggests that there are teams out there that are willing to give him a shot to be the quarterback that I think he has a chance to be. Now, I'm not a scout. I'm just a fan, but I've been watching the sport my whole life. He's got the goods. I'm looking over at Brandon. Brandon is a crazy Jet fan. I'm right, right? He's good. He's a good player. He's talented. He needs good coaching. He needs all the stuff Kurt Warner was just saying. He needs someone to teach him when not to make the throw. Because he, he is a perfect example of the guy who's got so much arm talent that he just tries it. He tries that throw. And, and you can't do that because it winds up going back the other direction. And, and, you know, now you got problems. So I'm not suggesting that he's perfect. But I think he has a chance to be a good player. All right, we'll see what they wind up doing. Let me wrap it up. Hey, uh, Bubba, I don't have my... Where's my, where's my thing here? I'm trying to play my da-da-da and nothing is happening. All right, let me finish it up with a good trivia question. Bubba's been giving me trivia all week long as we look forward to the NCAA tournament, and I enjoy the trivia. Let's hear one question. Greeny, only two coaches have reached the national title game in four different decades. Can you name them? Say that again. Four coaches have Excuse made, me. Two, coaches, two have, coaches have reached the national title game in four different decades. Can you name them? I've reached the national title game in four different decades. That's a really good question. So I'm thinking, hold on. None of them can be the 20s, right? There was no, there was no championship game last Correct. year. So, so it had, the, 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 this one can't be, it can't be this. So that would be 80s, 90s, teens, and, 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 and aughts. Yes, 80s, 90s, aughts, and teens. It would have to go back to the 80s. Would be an option. Well, then, I mean, Krzyzewski is definitely Krzyzewski one of them. did do so. In the, he, he went to one in the 80s and then, right. of course, throughout. You're missing one more guy. This guy is a little, did so a little bit earlier. It's earlier than Krzyzewski. But another legend. I'm trying to think, did Bob Knight make it in the 2000s? He wouldn't have made it in the 60s. So who would have made it in the 70s, 80s, and 90s? But I don't think he would have made it in the 2000s. It is not Bob Knight. But this person did do so from, in, from the 60s through the 90s. Is it is it Dean Smith? It is Dean Smith. Okay, Dean Smith did so. So, so it's Dean Smith and his and his pupil, Mike Shashevsky. Hey, if you're a business owner who's hiring, it can feel like trying to find a needle in a haystack. But when you post your job on ZipRecruiter, their matching technology finds these qualified candidates for you and invites them to apply. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So while other companies give you too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter absolutely free. At this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash G-R-E-E-N-Y. Have a terrific rest of the day. See you tomorrow on ESPN Radio. 
Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.